All right, it's great to be here and uh, wonderful to meet some of you whom I've seen in pictures uh, on a, a certain Facebook site where I'm a lurker, not a participant, because then I can see pictures of our family and granddaughters and all the rest, and of course, have uh, seen many of you uh, enjoying a fellowship in various ways. Well, it's a delight to be here with you and open the, the word this morning. As we begin a new year, many people are filled with uh, fear all across the world. In the United States, inflation, uh, which has been basically dormant for quite a number of years, has hit a, a 40-year high uh, last year in 2022. Our economy is in or near a recession. By the way, this first part of the message is to make you feel bad, but then you're going to feel good after that. I just thought I'd let you know there is another part to this. But uh, our economy is in or near a recession. Mortgage rates have uh, doubled in the past uh, six months, and the stock market has dropped to 20% in the past year. And all of that means that economically uh, speaking, many of us are hurting and there's no indication that things will turn around soon. But globally, now I told you it's going to get a little worse here, uh, things are actually far worse than here in America. Uh, Iran has made huge nuclear advances, is selling uh, weapons uh, to Russia, North Korea, uh, their uh, leader Kim Jong-un has launched a record number of missiles threatening South Korea and other places. Chinese leader Xi Jinping is conducting military drills around Taiwan, threatening to invade. He's forged a strong alliance with the, uh, Russia, and the COVID outbreak there is reaching epic proportions with nearly 9,000 people dying every day. The, the Taliban are again ruling with an iron fist in Afghanistan with severe restrictions, especially upon women. Uh, and to me, most prominently, especially this past year, Vladimir Putin is continuing his relentless uh, campaign to conquer the free country of Ukraine, now in its three, 313th day of declaring war on Ukraine. In the last few months, Putin has been launching its missile attacks against vital infrastructures in Ukraine, leaving much of the country without electricity. In the cold weather a week ago uh, Friday, my wife and I lost electricity for only about five hours, and that was scary enough. But these people have lost electricity for days and weeks. My friend and former student, Yegor Harlamov, uh, told me two nights ago that his mother is still living in uh, their hometown of Kyrson, Ukraine, and she hasn't had electricity, internet, or heat for weeks. Just yesterday, in what one official described as a terror on New Year's Eve, Russia fired more than 20 cruise missiles at targets in Ukraine. Beth McCall, a 29-year-old columnist for several major uh, periodicals, wrote last week, Approaching 2023, I feel anxious and unsure. The world feels 
less stable and less forgiving than ever, and I'm nervous about what's coming next. Some are even afraid of having a baby uh, during these uncertain times. As one woman who decided to have herself sterilized said, I don't want to bring any more children into this crazy world. Yes, many folks are heading into this uh, new year full of fear. Yet, as I ponder the Christmas story, and I still haven't forgotten the Christmas story, I get to wear this tie only a couple of times each year, so uh, I'm still wearing it if there's a manger scene on here. And uh, so we're, we're, we've got Christmas not quite yet in the rearview mirror, especially in our house where we keep the the Christmas tree and Christmas decorations on uh, quite a while after Christmas. Anyway, as I ponder the Christmas story over and over again, the message is, fear not. It's what the angel Gabriel said to Zacharias when he announced that his wife would bear John the Baptist in Luke 1.13. It's what the angel Gabriel said to Mary in announcing that she would bear Jesus in Luke 130. It's what the angel said to Joseph when telling him that it was okay to take Mary as his wife, even though she was already pregnant. And, uh, in, and of course, it's what the angel uh, told the shepherds in the field that night in the Savior's birth in Bethlehem in Luke 2.10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. As Christians, because of Christ's birth, death, and resurrection, we have little to fear. So as we enter this new year, my prayer is that this message will be an encouragement to you to have a new year free of fear and full of confidence in the Lord. Well, what's the key to a new year free of fear? In a nutshell, I think we need to do what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, which is actually the very next verse after the scripture that I'm going to speak on this morning. We need to consider Christ. We need to consider Christ. Consider Christ and his work on our behalf. In particular this morning... I'd like us to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, which gives us a great summary of the reason Christ came to earth in the first place and provides great encouragement to us as believers. And by the way, your pastor mentioned that I love to uh, preach and teach from the Old Testament. And if I'm ever invited back sometime in the future, and I don't know whether that will ever happen, but if it does happen, then I'll probably delight in preaching something from the Old Testament, possibly even the book of Isaiah, which is my favorite Old Testament book. But here, this message really for New Year's Day really uh, struck me here in Hebrews chapter 2 and 14, uh, verses 14 through 18. This passage comes at the end of a long section in the book of Hebrews from chapter 1, verse 4 to chapter 2, verse 18, which stresses that Christ is superior to the angels in every way. This argument was made by quoting seven Old Testament passages in chapter 1, 
then continued in chapter 2 by showing that the purpose for Christ coming into the world was far greater than that of the angels. And in the immediately preceding section to our passage, in verses 10 to 13 of Hebrews 2, the writer shows that Christ identified with humanity in his incarnation and suffering. This theme is amplified in our passage in verses 14 through 18. One might think that becoming a man and taking on a human body would make Christ inferior to the angelic beings who can't die. But no, the writer explains the reason he did this and the mission he accomplished makes him all the more amazing. So our first point is simply this. Christ became man. Christ became man. He took on human flesh. Verse 14 of Hebrews 2 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. John 1, verses 1 and 14 tell us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God became man and dwelt in our midst. This act separates Christianity from all the other religions of the world. I say, really, I should say all the religions of the world because I don't consider Christianity a religion. It's the truth. We are so used to it that we might take it for granted rather than realize how amazing this truth is. It's interesting that throughout church history, uh, there, even to the present, there have been two wrong views of the nature of Christ. One says that Christ was fully God, but not fully human. This view denies Christ's humanity. But verse 14 says that he was fully human. He shared in flesh and blood just like ours. Others say that Christ was simply a man, but not God. In other words, they deny Christ's deity. But of course, John 1, verses 1 and 14 that we just quoted shows that Christ is fully God as well. Uh, it's interesting because the Jehovah's Witnesses, they try to somehow weasel out <laughs> of John 1, 1. Uh, and the word was God, but they can't do it. The Greek grammar won't let them get out of that verse. No, Christ is fully God. Now, it's a mystery to be sure. And if you hear anybody explaining the mystery perfectly well, well, I'd love to hear it because I've lived a while now. Some of you have lived longer than me, and I don't think you've ever heard it explained perfectly uh, because I don't think we as finite human beings are able to comprehend it. And that's okay. You know, I'm fine with not understanding things, but I trust him. I trust the Lord who knows all these things, and he's revealed them in his word. And that I can be confident of. It doesn't mean i got to understand everything perfectly, because if that's the case, well, guess what? I don't. And certainly, uh, the Trinity, 
Do you understand that? Oh, yes, I can give you the triple point of water. I can give you all the analogies in the world, but none of them fully explains the Trinity. Same with Christ being fully God and fully man. It is a mystery, but it's what the scripture uh, tells us. And so that's, uh, we, we can't solve the, the mystery by explaining away either his full humanity or his full deity. To me, it is sad that millions of people see Christmas as the birth of that wonderful baby Jesus in the manger, but they never acknowledge that he is God or fully understand why he had to become flesh in the first place. But why did Christ, the second person of the Trinity, become man? Many folks think of Jesus as a great man, a great teacher, perhaps one of the greatest men of all time. And all of that is true, but it falls far short of explaining why Christ became man. The second part of verse 14 explains it. Christ became man in order to die. Christ became man in order to die. If you've missed this about Christmas, you've missed it all. Now, if you're following along on your uh, outline sheet, which uh, I believe uh, uh, Hannah Montgomery uh, passed out to you, I hope she got everybody. Uh, she missed my wife, but she got her later on, so uh, I think she did a great job. I better say that, right? Uh, but if you're following along in that outline sheet, the points spell out one complete sentence. The second point is that Christ became man so that by dying on the cross. It's continuing a sentence, so it's not a great second point, but uh, in fact, it's a fabulous second point in its meaning, not maybe in the grammar. So that by dying on the cross, he became man to die. But really, dying was not the purpose. The little Greek phrase here shows means or agency through death. Death was a means to the end. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But everything else mentioned in verses 14 to 18 hinges on his death. A few verses earlier in verse 9, the writer explains that by dying, Christ tasted death for everyone. He died as our substitute in our place and for our sins. Paul explains the gospel in a nutshell in 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Christ became man, not just to set a good example, though he did. Not just to give great teaching, though he did. Not just to work miracles and heal people, though he did. But Christ became man to die. That's why it's fitting that a few days after Christmas, celebrating the birth of our Savior, usually on the first or second Sunday after New Year's in many churches, we come to the communion table, celebrating his death. We celebrate Christ's birth once a year, but his death we usually, most churches, celebrate at least 12 times in a year. He was born to die. But what did his death accomplish? Verses 14 and 15 give two reasons why Christ became man. First, Christ became man so that by dying on the cross, he might defeat Satan. 
he might defeat Satan. The end of verse 14 says he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The power of Satan is not absolute. For example, in Job chapter 2 and verse 6, God tells Satan to spare Job's life. Uh, Satan actually had to get permission. Uh, It all goes back, of course, to the Garden of Eden. Those who follow Satan, as Eve did, are following the way of death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. We might think of it in the same sense that drugs or alcohol has power over an individual. But the death of Christ ended Satan's power because it reversed the effects of the fall. The Greek word translated destroy in the New King James and ESV literally means rendered inoperative. Nasby has rendered powerless, which I think captures the meaning uh, a little better. The devil is incapacitated. He is impotent. According to John 12, 31, this began at the cross. Right before going to the cross, Jesus said, John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Praise the Lord. Revelation 20 tells us that Satan's final judgment won't come until after the millennium. But he's already lost his power. 1 John 3, 8 says the same thing. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. You and I surely can't do this on our own, but Christ, dying in our place and being raised again, defeated Satan, who held the power of death. Well, what does that mean practically for us? It means everything. (laughs) If the captor is defeated, the captives can go three. Go, go free. That happened at the end of World War II with the defeat of Hitler. And in more recent days, when the Taliban were defeated in Afghanistan in late 2001, those who had been captives and in terror for their lives were automatically relieved of those fears. Sadly, after the U.S. withdrawal of forces in Afghanistan 20 years later in August 2021, the Taliban are now firmly back in control, tragically demonstrating that the only true and lasting victories in this sin-stained world are those that are going to be accomplished by the Lord when he returns again at his second coming, because his defeat of Satan will usher in a new age, and there will be no more bondage to our captor, Satan. So here in verse 15, the second reason why Christ became man is given. Christ became man so that by dying on the cross, he might might not only defeat Satan, but also deliver us from fear of death. Deliver us from fear of death. As verse 15 says, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Since Satan, our captor, has been defeated, and with him death's power, we are set free from fear. I'm going to amplify on this for just a little bit, so just bear with me. 
I'll be done and get to the next point eventually. But this is a key point. This is sort of the key point for me of the whole message. In his book on the world's religions, uh, author Hustad Smith attempts to explain the essence of all the major religions of the world. When he gets to Christianity, he traces the growth to, and I quote, the love and joy in the early Christians, end quote. The reason for their love and joy, he writes, and I quote, uh, is that three intolerable burdens had suddenly and dramatically been lifted from their shoulders. The first of these was fear, including the fear of death. We have the word of Carl Jung that he never met a patient over 40 whose problems did not root back to fear of approaching death. The reason the Christians could not be intimidated by the lions and even sang as they entered the arena was that Jesus' counsel, fear not, for I am with you, worked for them. Hustad adds that the second burden from which they had been released was guilt and the third self-centeredness. But the first was fear, fear of death. You know, usually people hide their fear of death uh, quite nicely. We rarely talk about it. And uh, when we do, we use euphemisms to soften the blow. From the rather silly, at least in my view, he kicked the bucket. He kicked the bucket, really? I mean, whack, you know? Um, I mean, that'd be very interesting, but I don't, well, I do understand. And, and by the way, uh, you know, I, I understand. And by the way, there are about three or four different origins from the phrase, kick, kick the bucket. So if you're going to tell me after the service, you know, what it really comes from, well, uh, I understand there's about four or five different ideas and they all are sure that they're right. Well, uh, that's rather silly in my thinking, but more accepted, and I've probably used it myself. He passed away. And we do everything possible to shield ourselves from death. But this became quite difficult to do most recently, I think, well, relatively recently, after the events of September 11, 2001, when all the stark horror of death and it, the speed with which it could come was driven home instantly to us through the pictures on our TV set, and in some cases through our acquaintances with some of the people who died. And then in the past three years, the COVID outbreak has caused so many deaths, including a number of our own loved ones and dear friends. And so the same thing, we can't avoid death even as we wanted to. As I mentioned at the outset of this message, uh, China is currently experiencing around 9,000 deaths each day because of COVID. And I'm not for a minute going to proclaim that death is a wonderful thing. It isn't. It's a horrible thing brought into the world by Adam's sin, and it's not a part of God's original created order. I have a really good friend, Mark Hazlett, who's a former student. Interesting, I was hearing your uh, pastor talk about uh, Japan and the needs there. And instantly, I'm thinking of, uh, of former uh, students of mine that uh, are now in Japan and serving. Bobby and Hillary Baden, Chris and Megami uh, Risden, and uh, Jonathan and Dorothy Liu. These are three graduates of the Capitol, all of whom are serving in Japan 
to try to, to make a difference, to make a dent, uh, to, to go where most people don't want to go because it's tough. Anyway, I'm just very thankful for so many of these uh, folks um, whom I've taught and who want to serve the Lord in a zealous way, including, of course, your pastor. Uh, well, Mark Hazlett is uh, not only a former student, but one of my best friends, other than my own family. I better say that with a bunch of family uh, right here. But other than that, I would say Mark is one of my absolute best friends I've known for almost 20 years. He's been in full-time ministry, devoting himself in mobilizing people to preach Christ all around the world. Um, But on November 3rd, he had a massive stroke. He wasn't found for over 15 hours, and that's not good when you've had a massive stroke. And right now, as I'm preaching this message, he's lying in a hospital bed in Washington Hospital Center. Well, I visited him five times since, and let me tell you, the first four times, I I thought, I'm not sure he's ever going to regain consciousness or be able to talk again. But then just two days ago, and this is why it's so fresh in my mind, Mark not only opened his eyes when I came to, uh, to visit him, but he greeted me with his normal, hi, Dr. Beal, and uh, tried to have a conversation. And we actually tried to even, I know this will find strange for some of you, but we even tried to joke around a little bit. Uh, although it was very difficult for him to speak. So now there is gloriously some hope that he may recover to some sense of normal normalcy. I don't know what that looks like. His entire left side is paralyzed, etc. And I'm very thankful for that. Many people have been praying for his recovery. But here's the thing that I want to emphasize this morning. Even if Mark had never recovered, even if he dies in the next month, which is certainly possible, though I will be personally very sad because I will miss him, I will rejoice because then he will be with the Lord in heaven. As believers, we need to have a different concept of death. Yes, the process of dying and death is itself is horrible. But you and I as believers, while suffering as others do when confronted with death, should have a totally different perspective from the rest of the world. We aren't enslaved by the fear of death because Christ has redeemed us. All who have trusted Christ as their Savior, as Mark Hazlett, and I hope you and I have done, will have new resurrection bodies. And just as Christ couldn't be held by death, neither can we who trust in Christ. For the Christian, our death is not the end, but the beginning. And I, for one, would surely rather have my new resurrection body in all its perfection than this old model, which is crumbling more every day. And I believe there could be a couple amens here when I talk about uh, bodies crumbling every day. I've got, uh, I've got an insulin pump here of type 1 diabetic for almost 60 years. I've got an insulin pump. I've got a continuous glucose sensor, etc., and all of these nice devices, which I'm very thankful for. But my goodness, uh, I've even got something that is measuring the temperature in my feet. If you wonder why I didn't stand up when he told us to stand up, it wasn't that I was being disobedient to your pastor. I would never be disobedient. Well, 
I, I, I might. But anyway, uh, but because I'm not supposed to stand that much, and I thought, well, I'm going to be standing here for a while, so I better be careful, because otherwise the temperature in the feet gets up. And Well, anyway, it's a problem. Uh, you get the idea. So my body is dying. That's as much information as I even, I never even thought I was going to be sharing that. It's not in my notes. And it probably shouldn't have been said. But the point is, I just wanted to illustrate my body is crumbling. It's not crumbling super duper fast, but you never know. You know, Mark Hazlett, I mean, I I picked him up from the airport four days before he had a stroke. And he was out in Seattle, Washington at a conference with his mission board. And, you know, I had no idea when I talked to him then, I thought it might up until two days ago, I thought that might be the last conversation I ever have with him. We don't know. That's the point. We don't know how long we're going to live, and we should make each day count before the Lord. Well, listen to these glorious words from 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter, which Pastor Rod already already, um, uh, read, but I want to read it again because it's such an incredible passage. Paul writes, beginning in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ said is coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Amen. Behold, I tell you a mystery, verse 51. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. We shall, uh, and and uh, this mortal will be p- put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, Uh, incorruption. I liked your version better. It didn't have all these corruptible and corruptions. And we, uh, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I love verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15. My beloved brethren, you should just sit back and relax. Isn't that what it says? Oh, it's not what it says? Okay, they know the scripture. This is good. Uh, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Though it might feel it, to some people that are laboring, for example, in Japan and have seen hardly any conversions for years and years, but we know, the Badens know, the Risdens know, the Lus know, <clears throat> it's not, the Luthies, that it's not in vain because they're doing the work of the Lord. The Christian need not fear because Christ became man so that by dying on the cross, he might defeat Satan and deliver us 
from fear of death. As Jesus says in Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. What a joy. Death has no sway over us. When we die, if our trust is in Christ, we will be in the presence of the Lord. What a glorious thing. So we need not fear death. Death and Satan have been defeated by Christ's work on the cross. Well, we could end our message right there, but the last uh, verses of Hebrews 2 gives further explanation and amplification of why Christ became man. Verses 16 to 18 explain it uh, in the image of Christ as our faithful and our merciful high priest. Christ became man so that as our faithful high priest, he would be reconciling us to God, point five on your outline sheet, reconciling us to God as our faithful high priest, reconciling us to God as our faithful high priest, and point six, helping us in time of need, helping us in time of need. Verse 16 explains that Christ didn't become man to help angels, but to help man. That's why he had to become a man. Otherwise, he could not have been a high priest. The high priest of Israel was one who interceded for the nation uh, uh, to God on behalf of man. But the high priest was a man himself. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, he went into the most holy place of the temple to offer sacrifices as an atonement for sin. First, of course, the human high priest had to offer sacrifices for his own uh, sins. But as the writers of the Hebrews develops more fully in later chapters, especially chapter 10... Christ was the supreme high priest in that as God, he became man, but was sinless and offered himself up on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sin in our place on behalf of all people. So Christ's purpose in becoming man was to reconcile us to God, as this text puts it, to make atonement or propitiation, satisfaction for the sins of the people. You and I can't get to God on our own. The reason is that sin separates us from God and from his holy standards. So we deserve to die and live in eternity in hell apart from him. But God loved us so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to become man and take the penalty for our sin upon himself. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin, referring to Christ, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I trust that you have received Christ as your personal Savior who died on the cross for your sins so that you might have forgiveness of sins and everlasting life and so that you may have no fear of death, but you know for sure that you're in heaven with him if you died tomorrow. And if you don't have that assurance, I urge you to trust in Christ and to do it today because we don't know how many days we have left on this earth. Finally, as our merciful and faithful high priest, our text tells us 
that he not only reconciles us to God, but he helps us in time of need. He helps us in time of need. Verse 18 says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. Sometimes when you and I are going through some difficult times, we might say to other people, you wouldn't understand. Some things you have to experience yourself in order to understand the situation fully. Uh, I uh, relatively recently uh, um, worked through the book of Job in my uh, Sunday school uh, class at our church. And uh, Job lamented many times that no one really understood his situation. And for sure, his three friends, so-called friends, didn't. They didn't get it. Well, this verse tells us that we have one who understands because he's both suffered and gone through temptation himself. He knows what you and I are going through right now. This verse tells us that he wants to help us through it. I talked to a friend recently been through all kinds of troubles and difficulties, but I hadn't called this person in quite a while. Uh, and I didn't know any of this. I said, why didn't you call me? He said, yeah, I should have. Yeah, you should have, because then we can pray together. We can encourage one another together. And, I, you know, I'm not necessarily suggesting that you burden your pastor with every single little thing. You know, you've got an ingrown toenail or something like that. But really, uh, I'm sure he delights in hearing of things that are, that are troubling you because otherwise, if we don't know, if we keep it all to ourselves, guess what? Uh, we're actually not availing ourselves of a way that God uh, encourages us, that other believers can come alongside and encourage, even if we don't completely understand what that person is going through. But even so, even if there was nobody else around, we know that Christ understands. And what a blessing that is. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 amplifies this point further. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a joy to have a high priest who both paid the penalty for our sins, reconciling us to God, and who sympathizes with all that you and I are going through right now. So as we conclude, I'd like to suggest three practical implications from this text in Hebrews chapter 2. First, if we've trusted in Christ, we need not fear death. But instead, we should rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ who has delivered us. If death is truly swallowed up in victory and Jesus holds the keys of death, you and I should have a different attitude toward death from the non-believer, because we know what lies ahead. Second, we need not fear difficult circumstances. We need not fear difficult circumstances, but instead we should boldly call on Christ who is waiting to help us. What an amazing truth that we can call on the eternal God of the universe. You know, some people say, oh, pray to Mary. Well, Mary's not going to help you. 
No, we pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can pray to God himself with no intermediaries whatsoever. Uh, what a joy that is. What an amazing truth. We can go to the eternal God of the universe, our merciful and faithful high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, to help us in times of trial. And finally, you and I should boldly declare the good news of Christ to all those around us who are still living in fear. We should be a living demonstration of Christ's love and his mercy to those around us. And when they ask a reason for the hope that is in us, 1 Peter 3, 18 uh, tells us, we should be prepared and eager to tell them of this glorious gospel that Christ became man so that by dying on the cross he might defeat Satan and deliver us from fear of death, reconciling us to God and helping us in time of need. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Yes, as we look at the world around us in various ways, in many ways that I didn't even mention this morning, uh, we can see that uh, our, our nation in particular seems to be turning its back on you. Uh, but, uh, Father, we realize that in this nation, in nations all around the world, there are still people that trust in Christ, that believe in your word, and we rejoice in that because this is the truth that is certain. Father, there is nothing that we need to fear. If we don't need to fear death, there's nothing else that anyone can do. Yes, we might get into some situations that are difficult and hard, and for a moment we might be afraid. But then we realize that we can call upon you, our great and wonderful high priest. And we can rest in you, Lord, and in all that you have done and continue to do for us. Father, I would pray above all, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted in Christ as their Savior, that they would do so even today. But I would pray for the rest of us that have trusted Christ, Lord, that we would proclaim this word and this message to those around us, Lord, Give us opportunity and give us boldness. Give us the words to say. Uh, yes, people will sometimes laugh at us because they don't think or they don't understand the truth. But I pray, Father, you would help us to be diligent and faithful ambassadors of your word, of the Lord Jesus Christ, both in word and in our actions as well. We pray that you'd give us many opportunities to do so, Lord, in this coming year. We pray this in Jesus' precious name with thanksgiving. Amen.